Welcome back to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast for all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris. I'm Jenna Martin. And today we have a special guest with us, Dean David Kenley of the College of Arts and Sciences. David, would you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. As you pointed out, I'm the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences here at Dakota State, and I have been here, I'm in my third year. Um, Prior to that, I was at Elizabethtown College outside of Philadelphia, and my disciplinary background is actually Chinese history. And so uh, I have really loved working with my colleagues and faculty here at Dakota State because they keep me on my toes each and every day. I got to hop in here quick. Can you speak Chinese then? I can, yeah. Tell us good morning in Chinese. Okay. <laughs> And I was like, I, I still didn't uh, yeah, understand yeah. that. <laughs> I'm going to have you start reading my fortune cookies for me then because the backside of them are all in Chinese. You See, bet. That's, I've got an in. Give me a call. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit like a parlor trick, but I'm happy to pull it out whenever I can. <laughs> the beauty of it is I'd never know if you're right or not. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Jen. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the College of Arts and Sciences here at Dakota State? Sure. Um, College of Arts and Sciences is the heart and soul of Dakota State University. Um, Obviously, uh, we have a unique mission in terms of cyber-related education, but all students, regardless of their major, all of them end up taking classes in the College of Arts and Sciences. We provide the bulk of the general education. Um, We represent the disciplines that are, yeah, historically and traditionally seen as um, the heart and soul of any university experience. So, We are thrilled to support the university in its larger mission of cyber education, but we also feel like we have an important and irreplaceable role to play in the lives of our students. Absolutely. Um, So in regards to that, um, what's it like to get to kind of see the faces of all the students on campus? Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I wish I could say I got to know each and every student. As the dean, I don't teach. So sometimes the students I meet are the students that are... In need of assistance? In need of assistance, yeah. Let's say it that way. Uh, but the faculty get to know their students. That's one of the advantages, obviously, of Dakota State University. Is we have small class sizes, um, caring faculty. Um, they go out of their way to not just know their students' names, but to understand their individual strengths, their career plans, um, their interests, and can help them develop and become the best version of themselves that that they can be. They're wonderful mentors to have. Yeah, yeah. I could go through and name some of our outstanding faculty, but I would would leave some out and I'd regret doing so. so. And you'd be picking favorites, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Jenna, you're a College of Arts and Sciences grad, aren't yep, you? Yep. I did graduate from the College of Arts and Science in 2005, and it was a wonderful experience, you know, that every single professor that you came across felt like a, a friend and not like a professor. They're all willing to help. And, you know, even then we had the, you know, one one thing that I love telling people is um, arts and sciences doesn't only focus on the technology end of things. They're really good at covering the things of how how you used to do it. So, um, you know, I went for graphic design and we developed um, stuff in a dark room. You know, it's a great experience for people to have that normally wouldn't have that opportunity that now I'm sure these kids are like, what is this? 
this belongs in a museum somewhere. Well, not really. It wasn't that long ago that that's how we used to produce pictures type of a thing. And that's a great example um, of how we blend the traditional perspectives mm-hmm. of arts and sciences with current technology. So, yeah. for example, we do have a graphic arts program, mm-hmm. and the students start out taking things like painting and figure drawing and 3D design, um, and then they will take classes in darkroom development. But all of these are providing the foundational skills that they will need when they eventually get into digital photography and uh, image editing. And, you know, they're, they're using all the highest, all the high-tech bells and whistles that you can think of. I invite you to come over to our graphic arts laboratory to see what, what we do there. But, but you're right. We want to make sure that all students have a solid foundation so that they can fully exploit the, the advantages of advanced technology. And so uh, you talked a little bit about these different uh, backgrounds. Uh, how do you then kind of integrate the technology into that after you've helped them develop that foundation? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Back to the, the example of graphic arts. We do not have a traditional fine arts program. Uh, that's not really who we are as Dakota State. But we do have graphic arts. We do have digital sound design. We do have production animation. Um, the very resources we're using right here and the staff that's helping us produce this podcast are students of arts and sciences that know how to use these technologies to, to their fullest uh, potential. I don't think I answered your question, though, Jen. Can you <laughs> ask it again? Sure. Um, so how do you uh, start to integrate that technology after you've built those foundations? Um, how does technology fall into the world of arts right. and sciences? That's great. All of our disciplines are very technology-infused. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even our foundation classes, our first and second-year level classes, we expect teachers and professors to use technology in their classroom and with their students in their projects. Um, I'd give you an example, for example, from biology. Uh, We have a fairly traditional biology program here, but I would invite anyone to come take a look at our labs and see the high-tech equipment that we are using. For a school of Dakota State size, it's really quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. We're able to do um, CRISPR gene uh, splicing here at Dakota State. I mean, it's just amazing what our faculty can do. And each and every discipline has those, um, has technology infused in it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned biology specifically. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the fact that our undergraduate students get to utilize this technology? Yeah. We, in the arts and sciences, we don't have any graduate programs. So everything we do is for the undergraduates. Back to the biology example, uh, Dr. Sathoff has been doing some advanced research on, he's a plant pathologist, and he's been doing some advanced research on um, root rot mm-hmm. in, in alfalfa. All of his students are engaged in that research. They are engaged in using the technology to, to gather data, to evaluate that data, and then to share their findings with the larger world. Several of his students have co-authored papers with him, and that is a very unique opportunity for an undergraduate student. It's typically not until graduate school that you get those types of opportunities to co-author published research. Yeah. 
Because I think they have a lot of field experience too, don't they? They do. They pair up with yeah. Mustang Seeds and several they do. companies. They yeah. spend their summers out digging up alfalfa <laughs> all around South Dakota. That's an amazing experience for those kids to have, though. I think the next step we need to, we're doing a search right now to hire a, a geographer who can oh, teach ooh. geospatial analysis. And I see that as integrating into many of these disciplines, for example, biology and um, taking samples of of alfalfa from around the state. If you could uh, integrate geospatial analysis in that, that would open up additional windows. So we're always looking for new ways to bring technology into the classroom and to help our students be prepared to utilize it in a very competitive workplace. Because I think they, I can't remember which group it was with arts and sciences, but they didn't they just do a distracting, uh, distracting DNA yeah. exhibit at the library, I think it was, wasn't it? The public library that's right. that's in right. Madison? Yeah. And I that's, couldn't make it, but it seemed interesting. That was our students. Mm-hmm. That was not our faculty. Our the students st- did it on their student, own? Yep. Oh, wow. Tri Beta Club. The Tri Beta Club went to the library and to St. Thomas's Elementary School and showed the students how to, yeah, wow. to do DNA analysis. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually went to that event and did took you? some photos, yeah. Did you, did they test you out? Were you they a did test not. subject? Um, luckily, I had a camera in front of me the whole time, so I got to be the spectator. That's good. Uh, you've talked a little bit about the sciences, a little bit about the arts. Um, how do science and art kind of converge? That's a great question, a very good question. I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, we had one of our, again, a biologist and one of our sound design faculty work together to create a a learning project for their students where they were recording and cataloging and analyzing bird calls from throughout South Dakota. So obviously our sound design students needed to be engaged and participating Mm -hmm. because they had the equipment to record these birds. And they're, you know, this is a high-tech process. They're not just standing out in a field with an iPhone held up there. They're, (laughs) They're setting up microphones that are left on a site for days and hours at a time and that can continually record sounds. And then they're listening to hours and hours of bird sounds. And you know, sometimes you can't even decide, if is that a bird or is that something else? And, and, and so they would have to enhance the audio and mm-hmm. develop the process. And then ultimately, you've got to rely on the collaboration of your biology students to help you identify what is this bird sound and and where does it fit in and what does it tell us about the larger ecosystems of South Dakota? What does it tell us about changing migratory patterns among birds? So yeah, there are all kinds of opportunities for this type of collaboration between between the humanities, the the traditional fine arts, the sciences, natural sciences, mathematics, uh, humanities. I said humanities. (laughs) That's okay. Um, so have you, you mentioned a couple projects now, are there any like favorite things that you've seen come out of arts and sciences in your time here so far? Well, again, you're asking me to, a loaded question to (laughs) pick my favorites and that's not fair. So I'll share an example with you from something very recently. Last week we had a kind of a, a one day event to showcase and to highlight some of the work that our game design students are doing. And we invite potential students to come in and play the games that our students have developed. And I spent the morning with 
our game design students, and they are an infectious bunch. <laughs> they love what they're doing. They're passionate about what they're doing, and um, you can't help but be excited to see their enthusiasm towards their discipline. And game design's a, a wonderful example of how we're preparing students for future career opportunities. Uh, game design represents a significant segment of our national economy. I mean, it dwarfs mm -hmm. Hollywood, for example. The game design industry is much larger than Hollywood. But it's about more than just developing games, right? Um, maybe a month ago, I met with a job recruiter from Caterpillar that makes those large construction equipment mm -hmm. machines. And they said, we need to hire some of your game design people. And I said, huh, that's interesting. What would you do with our game design people? And he said, when we want to sell our products, when we want to train people how to operate our products, when we want to train our mechanics how to take apart and repair our products, all of that is done virtually with uh, like Oculus headsets because these are, you know, these are multi-million dollar pieces of equipment. We can't just afford to take them offline to perform these training functions. So we hire game design people to help us gamify the whole process of selling, using, and repairing our equipment. Same thing with doctors, um, pilots. There are all kinds of opportunities for our game design students to do some really meaningful stuff upon graduating. I am so glad you shared that with us because I'm sitting here just thinking of a game game, and then you took me outside of my box and showed me something more. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, would you say that a lot of the arts and sciences majors are pretty interdisciplinary then? Yeah, they all are very interdisciplinary. I think that's, I think that's kind of the nature of the arts and sciences is that it forces us to look at large societal problems and bring a variety of perspectives to bear to solve those. Anthropogenic global warning. Warming is one example. I mean, this is a, we know that the temperatures are rising. Mm -hmm. How do we solve that? Uh, that has not only biological, biology aspects, but environmental science aspects, economics, politics, social relations. We have to look at some of these very complex problems from multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that's where the arts and sciences really, th really shine, I think. We're not training somebody for a, a very narrow, specific job. We're training them to take those skills and apply them to big, hairy problems. Okay. And so what um, do you enjoy about being the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences? There's a lot I enjoy. Um, the thing that I enjoy the most is associating with our faculty. I am, as I mentioned, I'm a China historian. And whenever I'm with a group of historians or China experts, there's a lot of pressure to seem smart, right? <laughs> There's a lot of pressure to, yes. to, to, to be the best at what you do. When you're dean, I'm working with artists, social scientists, humanists, natural scientists, mathematicians. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Instead, I get to just sit back and learn about the amazing things they're doing and be a cheerleader for them, really highlight the good work they're doing. And I love that. I, I enjoy associating with some very talented, diverse individuals and helping others to appreciate all the great things that our faculty are doing. 
Um, so I'm going to take it back a little bit to earlier you mentioned um, all the students and how everyone gets some kind of foundation in the arts and sciences, no matter their major. Why is that so important? Why do they need this well-rounded experience, regardless of whether they go into business or science or math? That's a very good question. And fundamentally, the answer to that is, what is the difference between a technical college and a university, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if we were here just providing them with technical skills, mm -hmm. they have other options. But if we want them to um, be able to use those technical skills in a wide variety of contexts to address some very large intractable problems, mm -hmm. they need a foundation in the arts and sciences where we challenge them to think critically, to um, analyze information from a variety of sources, to compose a cogent argument, persuasive argument, and mm -hmm. then to share that argument with a larger audience in ways that help people move forward. If you're a computer scientist, you're going to be working in an environment with people from all over the world. You're going to be working with people from South Asia, from East Asia, from Europe, from Latin America. You have to have a broad view of the world simply to get along with your workmates. Yep. But then you also have to address real-world problems, right? You, you don't get hired just to write code. You get hired to write code that accomplishes something, that solves a problem, creates efficiencies, delivers a product. And when you look at that big picture, then, of course, economics, psychology, social sciences, um, user design and the art of user design, all of that gets brought into the equation. Great question. <laughs> she's to she's take good in. at that. <laughs> well, I know Jenna has some questions percolating in there. I might have a couple. I'm really curious to see, okay, post-graduation, um, where are some of your graduates going? Have, has anybody worked for Disney? Has anybody worked for a huge corporations, you'd mentioned Caterpillar. So fill us in on some of those things. When, when students are leaving here, where are they going? What are they doing? Well, the good news is that we do place our students. We have very mm -hmm. high placement rates. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, we have, for example, a cyber leadership and intelligence program, which again incorporates both technology as well as the social sciences. Um, students are going from that position to work for the military, for government agencies, for private practices. They're going all over. They're going places like um, Alabama, North Virginia, Minnesota. Oh. But a lot of them have opportunities to stay here locally, too, if they choose to yeah. do so. For example, we have a production animation program where students get introduced to both uh, 2D and 3D animation. They get to choose to specialize in one or the other. They have the opportunities then to go work for big animation houses like Disney in California. But those skills can also be applied in other ways. Some of them want to work with local um, marketing agencies. Uh, for instance, um, the big agency in Sioux Falls. Lawrence and Schiller. Lawrence and Schiller. Yeah. You know, they're looking for people who can do graphic design and um, video, yep. videography and things like that. So the options are 
quite wide open. Another great example is um, game design. Mm-hmm. Um, people think about game design and they really don't know what it entails. But to be to develop a game design, you've got to be good at coding. You've got to be good at art yeah. to be able to draw and create characters. You've got to be a really good storyteller to create a narrative structure mm-hmm. with with climax and characters and you know denouement and all of those things that we think of associated with English literature. Yeah. And our game design students have to be good at all three of those. Mm-hmm. So this, they develop a set of skills that can be applied in a wide variety of disciplines. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of game design, our students are actually posting complete games up on uh, a website called Steam, correct? Correct. And they get to download those games, and some of those games, uh, there's a charge for them. Mm-hmm. Not oh. a big charge, maybe 3 4 $5. But uh, our students from last year, I think they are up to four or 5,000 downloads right now. Wow. So you might want to check me on those numbers. <laughs> but, but my point is, it may not sound like a lot of money, but it adds up, right? Well. And our students are getting opportunities to do those things. That's amazing. Do you think that's a unique aspect of particularly the game design program to be able to put out a finished product while you're still in school? That is one of the advantages of our game design program, no doubt. But I would suggest that our other programs provide opportunities for students to Mm -hmm. share their work with the larger community. I've already mentioned our biology students are publishing in peer-reviewed journals. Which is a huge deal. Which is a huge deal. Our graphic arts students right now are actually working with the community center here in Madison. They're doing um, a refurbishing, I guess is the word you'd use, to to the entire complex. And they want to change a lot of the, the graphic signage and the visuals that you experience when you enter the community center. To help encourage me to work out more? Is exactly. that what's going on? Exactly. <laughs> and our students are involved in that. So We could all use a little help yeah. with that, Jenna. <laughs> The work they're doing is going to be seen by the two of you and hundreds of other people for years to come. That's very exciting. So what would people be surprised to know? There's a lot of surprising things, and I maybe I've tipped my hand on some of them. (laughs) I think they'd be surprised to know that we have such a wide variety of disciplines uh, from digital arts and design, graphics, mathematics, um, game design, Biology, I've mentioned several of these already. We have a lot of diversity. I think people would also be surprised to know that we're the second largest college on campus. We have, uh, I think we have about the same number of faculty as Beacom does. We teach as many credit hours, probably close to what Beacom does. Mm-hmm. So we're, we play a large role. We're an important part of what goes on here. There's all kinds of surprises. We got some really cool telescopes you should come (laughs) check out. We have some amazing computer labs that you should take a look at if you want to. Uh, Lots lots of surprises. I think people would be surprised how hands-on arts and sciences is. You know, it's you think of going to take to a lecture or something and I'm going to sit there with a book and, and not enjoy this for the next hour. And that is the complete opposite of what happens in most of those classes. You know, you have your book to reference, but a lot of these teachers, or excuse me, professors, they let you run wild. They let you be as creative as you want to be and then see what comes out of that. But then they help guide you along the way, which is appreciated by everybody. Yeah. I mean, our graphic arts program, for example, mm-hmm. you think of somebody sitting behind an easel or maybe sitting at a computer pad, 
Uh, no, we are doing drone photography. Nope. You can earn your dro- your um, drone pilot license. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called. <laughs> Not a commercial license, but a, a drone private. private pilot license mm-hmm, yeah. in our computer graphics program. We're going to introduce you to all kinds of ideas and skills that you wouldn't expect. Hands-on, yep. as you mentioned, hands-on, hands-on. activities. Mm-hmm. If you're in the chemistry lab, you're going to be dealing with Starting fires. <laughs> Starting controlled fires. <laughs> controlled fires. If you're in the biology lab, you're going to be in the greenhouse. You're yeah. going to be uh, behind the microscope. Lots of hands-on activity stuff. And uh, in speaking to kind of that creativity, how does that, um, how is that so important to the overall scope of life and how it kind of infiltrates into everything we do, because even in sciences, you don't necessarily think of science as a creative field, but there is a lot of creativity in it. That's an excellent question. What's the role of creativity in the human experience? I think is fundamentally what you're asking. Think about how you spend your leisure hours. Think about what you do after work. A lot of it involves games, Mm -hmm. television, books, movies, Apps, art, art, mm-hmm. creative design, user experience, storytelling, even the TV channels you watch. I mean, how many of us spend time watching Science Channel? Uh, maybe it's not the most popular channel, but I think the arts and sciences were really good at creativity and storytelling and creating um, a compelling a compelling story that people want to hear about. That's how we spend our leisure time. Um, Creativity is an important part of the human experience, and it brings us joy and satisfaction both in our jobs but beyond our jobs as well. Mm -hmm. So what have we missed? What have we (laughs) missed? Well, I have a whole list of our faculty here and our majors here, and I'd love to talk about all of them in great detail, but... Probably the best thing to do is if you're in southeast South Dakota, if you're coming mm-hmm. through the area, stop by. Have a chat with our faculty. Have a chat with our students. Come see our labs. We welcome you on campus. We want to be good community players. We want to service not just our students here at Dakota State, but we want to service the Madison community, southeast South Dakota, and ultimately the entire world. Um, okay, one thing I should mention the Honors College or the Honors Program is, yeah. is housed and administered almost entirely in arts and sciences. So if you're one of the best and brightest students and really want to challenge yourself, you'll have the opportunity to participate in our Honors Program, which includes advanced, um, challenging versions of all of the classes that you would otherwise be taking. Come participate with our Honors Program. Take a look at it. Sounds intimidating. No, no, <laughs> I no, won't no. be there. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's a great way to enhance your educational opportunity. And um, what are some of the benefits for students that go through that honors program? Through the honors program? It's transcripted on your graduation diploma. So oh, wow. it shows to potential employers that this is someone who not only completed a degree, but, but went the extra mile. Somebody who wanted to enhance their degree beyond just the, the bare requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other advantages are you get to take classes with some of our, we have all great professors. 
but there are some that are even spectacularly <laughs> great, right? And those are the ones that teach the honors classes. And the honors classes are typically um, even, they're smaller, they're even more discussion-based, they're even more hands-on. You get to do co-curricular activities. Um, you get to live in the honors housing and the dorms here on campus. There's a lot of advantages to being in the honors program. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, if you don't have anything else, we'll wrap it up. Well, for I would you just today. say thank you for inviting me here. It's been great to be here. I love talking about the wonderful things we're doing in the arts and sciences. I do firmly believe that we represent the heart and the soul of what we're doing here at Dakota State. And all of our students, regardless of their major, are going to be better citizens, better employers, better neighbors because of their exposure to the courses in arts and sciences. So thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you for recognizing us. I have one last question. Sure. Is Beetle Hall really haunted? Beetle <laughs> Hall. People want to know this. <laughs> Beetle Hall is really haunted. Inquiring minds. But only between midnight and 4 a.m. during the month of October. So come, <laughs> come by. It's safe every other time. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being our guest. Uh, we definitely learned a lot. Mm -hmm. I know, I feel like I keep pretty up to date about things going on in your area, but still learn some new stuff. Good. And there's a lot more to learn. Absolutely. Never ending. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you to our podcast producer, Max Allman. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe.